We bang on all the time about the importance of buying a good asset for your first home. And if you've been wondering, what do you mean by that and what makes a good asset? Then this episode's for you. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Your first rung on the property ladder has the potential to set you up financially for life if you get it right. So today we're talking about what makes a good asset a good first rung. Now, I was going to say before we get to that, but we get (laughs) Megan does not have a special house behind her this week, so forget that bit. I ran out of time. (laughs) That was just habit. All right. No special house behind Megan in the video this week. If anyone has been listening before, you will know that we normally have a special house. Nothing today. We're just going to talk about what makes a good asset. All right. Anywho, on we travel. Let's get um, in with it. Look, the, the thing about it, Veronica, and, and people, you know, particularly when they're new to the course and they're really starting to develop that base level of knowledge, you know, throwing out everything they've been told and starting from ground zero to build a really good knowledge base. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about in the course are the Home Bar Academy property principles. Now, a a number of the property principles relate to you as an individual and your unique circumstances, but a number of them relate to the quality of the asset. And so, you know, what's really important is that we make sure when first-time buyers are looking and and starting to weed through everything that's out there, that they're doing it through the right lens, that they're keeping in mind these principles that surround what makes a good quality asset. You know, one of the one of the things that um, we talk about a lot is that capital growth matters. And even if, and that's Home Bar Academy principle number seven, even if you think that you're going to be living in your home for the next thirty years, or you know, some people say they're going to take me out in a pine box when 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 yeah, I'm never moving again. Um, sometimes circumstances change, and not only. Do you want that property to perform well from a capital growth perspective in case you want to upgrade, downgrade, right size at some point in the future? 
but also because of the the ability to leverage the equity that you create in a property for other to use for other investments. Um, so that's a really important part. Even if you don't think you're going to sell it, if you're using that equity in a positive way to generate income or to invest for your future, then the quality of the asset, the capital growth that comes from it, it really makes a difference. And in fact, that sort of really underpins everything we mean when we say buy a good asset. We're thinking of one that is going to go up in value really well, potentially better than or at least as good as the average in the area you're buying in or compared to other areas you could be buying in, for example, yeah. because we know that your first property is probably not going to be your last one. So it's got to go up in value so that you get that opportunity to leverage and, and jump up, you know, the uh, leapfrog, I should say, up the uh, property ladder. But also, Megan used the word leverage. That's another word for borrowing, right? And borrowing basic leverage, the, the whole reason you would use a lever is to move something that you can't move with your bare hands. And that's that's the principle behind borrowing money to buy property and certainly buy investment property. So down the track, if you have bought yourself a good asset that goes up in value better than or the same as the, you know, the average property in the area, you've got other opportunities that you will not have if you don't buy a good asset. And that's that's why we really labor that point about capital growth. And really the absolute core of what makes a property you know, likely to go up in value more or this or as well as anything around it is that you will have lots of buyers interested in it in the future when you go to sell. Yeah. So it leads to our um, home buyer principle, home buyer academy principle number four, which is if it's easy to buy, it might be hard to sell in the future. It's probably going to be hard to sell, right? So here's the thing. You want to buy a property today that might feel a bit hard to buy because down the track when you want to go to sell it, you want people fighting over it. Mm. So that comes into- You want it to be hard for them to buy because there's so much competition. That's the point. And so you want to look at what's called a multifaceted buyer pool. So a property that doesn't just appeal to first-time buyers like yourself, but also that might appeal to investors, might appeal to empty nesters. Um, Definitely not something that is only going to appeal to people who can't afford anything better. That is definitely- not what you're looking for. A good asset is something that people aspire to own. And even if it is, a, you know, a first home buyer budget property, you've got to be thinking, don't buy the one that is everyone else's left on the shelf because they're <laughs> yeah. going for better stuff, right? That's sort of that's the one that's easy to buy. Core. Yeah, yeah that's the one that's easy to buy. competing with anybody. Yes. You know, this is, this is such a, a common um, myth in, in property is, Oh, I don't want to be in a multiple offer. I don't want mm-hmm. to be in an auction against all other people. I just, you know, I'd just rather negotiate directly and, and not have anyone else, you know, not worry about anyone else. That's the kind of property or that is one of the flags that you need to look at. If other people aren't interested, if there's a lot of buyers around and there's not a lot, you know, massive oversupply of properties, if there is no one else interested in the property that you're interested in, you need to ask yourself why. Yeah. Why don't they like this? Because if you go to sell that in anything other than a really hot, heated market, then you might find it is extremely difficult because people have better choices. They're going to choose a better quality asset. And and one of the things that comes into that, Veronica, is is scarcity. You know, yes. It's, it's things that aren't easy to replicate. And we talk, uh, obviously, a, in a great depth in the course 
about what makes up um, what helps to contribute to capital growth. This is just a, a, a taster, an overview, like. um, <laughs> a little teaser. But it's something that's not easy to replicate. Something that is easy to replicate is um, a two-bedroom apartment in a new building. It is a house and land package where there's lots and lots of other house and land packages that could be built that are very similar or there's lots more land that can be released. Um, and a, a really good example of that is some of the subdivision areas between the Gold Coast and Brisbane where there's a lot of land still to be released. And they're, they're, they're released just in in small portions so that the demand feels really strong yeah. at that point in time. But then the next lot gets released. And so those ones that were released earlier, they're not as attractive anymore because they're two, three, five, seven years old. And people go, well, I can, I can get brand new now. So yep. the growth just isn't there because it's not scarce. Yep. And you were waiting a long, long time, <laughs> a long, long time <laughs> for that to happen. For that land to be soaked up. I know. It's even like even if you're buying an apartment and uh, as Mia was just saying, you know, the two-bedroom cookie-cutter apartment, they're all the same, same. They'll have the same outlook. They'll have, you know, same size, same floor plan, same finishes, same, 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 same. So they're easy to buy because there's, yes. it, they're a dime a dozen. There's heaps of them around. And what you're after always you miss out on is, one, there'll be another one. There's another one. No big deal. There's no reason for prices to really rise particularly well or particularly fast you always got to try to find something that others don't have for argument's sake if you're looking in an apartment you'd be going scarcity you'd be like they're all the same they've all got little balconies and then you came across one that had a courtyard or a really big terrace that's scarce you know so it's not to say all two-bedroom apartments Mm. are really bad yes you're looking for that x factor you're looking for that one thing yeah Uh, and look i think to the location absolutely a lot of people say oh, it's all about location, 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 location. Well, it's important, but it's not everything, is it? Well, it's one of the three Ps. We talk about the three Ps and the stepping stone strategy. Uh, location or position is just one of those elements. Uh, and when you're looking for something that is going to a good quality asset, you're looking for a location that is desirable in all market conditions, not just when the better suburbs become unaffordable yep. or the market is really hot. Now, there's some, some classic examples of, of those types of things. Right now, the growth, or sorry, the last couple of years, the growth in a suburb um, on the outskirts of Brisbane and Nala, the growth has been quite bad. It is not a desirable suburb, but the growth has been really strong for the in that post-COVID period because people couldn't afford to buy in the more desirable suburbs. That growth has fallen off a cliff and those prices are now heading back down towards where they were pre-COVID. It's one of the few areas where price growth has actually reversed, um, as opposed to the, the the suburbs that are a better quality. Not, not we're talk, not talking blue chip. We're not talking. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in harbour side here. like when, in when, Sydney. Yeah, we're not talking about. Um, we're talking about desirability uh, rather than affordability here. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not just about going for the the most expensive suburb that you can. It's about looking at the fundamentals of the suburb. And what makes them attractive to a, a good pool of buyers. And that could be as simple as it's walkability to parkland or to bike tracks that are really, you know, in, in demand. People want to live close to this particular bike track or it could be that it's... cafe culture. Yeah. It could be that it's a walking distance that has a really big shopping centre that's really convenient. It could be those sorts of things. Or it could yep. be Even that if it's you an- don't have children, it's got good schools. Yeah. That makes it attractive to your future buyer, which, the of next course, suburb- improves your capital growth. Yeah. 
The next suburb might look exactly the same. The houses might look exactly the same, but it just doesn't have the same demand because of it doesn't have a good as good a reputation. Those sorts of things, or it could be that literally a, there's a higher level of, um, I guess, crime. You know, there's a little bit uh, less secure to walk around the streets at night. Yeah, yeah. Those things count. So it's if you find yourself looking at a location that is only affordable because everything else is expensive. You have to think, why would people want to live here if thing if it was a buyer's market? And that's really the litmus test on that one. Nice. Let's go on to um, issues, right? So there are some issues that you can fix and there are some issues you can't fix. An issue that you can fix is if you don't like the paint colour. An <laughs> yeah. issue that you can fix is if you don't like the bench tops in the kitchen. Now, these come at a cost. We're not saying that these are, you know, these issues cost money to fix, but they can be fixed. But Home Buyer Academy principle number eight, if you can't fix an issue, it will always be an issue. Yeah. So if you can identify it or other buyers identify it when you're in the process of looking at purchasing a property and there is no way to overcome it, it's still going to be there when you go to sell the property. Yep. Even Do if you're going you know, to live with it. Exactly right. And, you know, I was talking with one of my team the other day about two little cottages in a suburb in Sydney called Leichhardt, right? One of them is two bedrooms and it's got two really good-sized bedrooms and a good-sized living area, just a sensible floor plan. The other one is three bedrooms and all of the bedrooms are only like 2.6 metres wide. They're so but skinny. On paper, it sounds better. Yeah, three bedroom, two but bathroom. Practically, no. They've squished this. So it's almost like you can only afford to put a single bed in every bedroom. It's so um, horrible. Like it's annoying. But not only that, they've made one bathroom really big. And if that actually thought it through a bit better when they did the renovating, they could have actually made the bathroom really small and the bedrooms bigger. But they didn't. Right. And so nobody's going to want to. out. Yeah. And the cost after somebody's already renovated it to go and then undo it to put yeah. it back to what potentially it could have been. But it's always going to be a skinny little house that they've made to they've made wrong, you know. That cannot be changed. Yeah. Cannot be fixed. It's always going to be the house that somebody who really has got too many kids and hasn't got enough bedrooms and is prepared to put single bunks in every bedroom. You know or what I mean? Or to work from home spaces. Doesn't even yeah. sound like you could put a double bed in those bedrooms at those you sizes. You've got one room you could put a double bed in and the other two a single bed. You know, yeah. that's it. So, so small so, bedrooms, bad floor plans. Exactly. You know, another thing that can't be fixed, no matter how high the hedge is, is being overlooked by an apartment complex. Unless it's only two storeys or three storeys high and it's set back a long way away, <laughs> generally speaking. Absolutely right. Cannot be fixed. Bamboo will not grow tall enough. No, and it's it's also, you know, it, it's still always there. And, you know, one side of it might be okay if that's the compromise. You might go, all right, well, it's only got the bathroom windows on on my side versus all the balconies where people are going to be mm. out and entertaining and making noise. Um, so, it, you know, even as a hard and fast rule, that one's got some maybes about it, just <laughs> like just about everything. Yes. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> now, so these things make, you know, if these have got these things you can't fix, they are what we call poor assets. And I mentioned the word asset rather than, I guess, an A grade, B grade, C grade um, property, which we have done an episode on in the past. I should probably find out the number. I think it was number 46. I don't know. It's around in the 40s somewhere. But, you know, we, we do talk about A, a grade properties versus B and C grade properties. We're, we're talking using the word asset here. Because this is an asset. Even though you're going to live in this property, it's an investment in your future. 
right? So a lot of people say, oh, it's my own home, it's not an investment. It's the biggest single purchase you are probably going to make in your life, certainly to the point until you go to upgrade. It has to be thought of as an investment as well as your home. So that's why we use the term asset. Now, that episode, you were very close, Veronica. It was episode 40. We did that back in October 2021. There you go. There you go. But the principles are all the same. All right. So if you want to know more about this, go back to episode 40. But Home Buyer Academy principle number nine, Megan. The buy-ins of the property are the key, not the pretty stuff. You know, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. You can change cosmetic challenges, but you can't change those things that are kind of set, you know, the fundamental characteristics of light, aspect, practicality of floor plan, unless you're planning to rip the whole thing yeah. <laughs> apart and rebuild and, you know, then a, an impractical floor plan, as long as you can rejig it, that's okay. But, you know, th- those fundamental things, it is very hard to improve light without drastic changes if the orientation is wrong, if it's too shaded by other buildings around it or neighbours, if the windows are, you know, in an apartment particularly where you can't change windows. House, freestanding house may be slightly different. There is a cost to, to fix these things or put a skylight in, but with apartments, you, you really can't do those sorts of changes that might allow more light and more natural ventilation to, to take place. Um, the, these sorts of things, you can't change them. It's, 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 a, it's a fundamental to the, to the property. And look, why skylights have their, their role, have their purpose, if you have to basically put loads of skylights in a property, particularly in the living areas, because it has a poor aspect and poor natural light, it's sort of pushing things a bit too far. And, you know, so this is what we're talking about with the bones. If the bones are good and you can work with that, but if you're really trying to push things too far, then I would probably give it a bit of a white berth. And the one thing, though, that is great to look for in terms of a good asset is where you do have value-add potential as long as you've got the skills. Or the budget no, to pay someone and who budget, is going to do yes. a good, good. And, and you but want even it to if be you're good quality, you don't want to do yes. a dodge job because people see that. Even if you've got the skills, though, you still need a budget, right? You just need <laughs> less of a budget. You don't have to pay <laughs> trades. Um, but so value add potential can be a great thing to look for, particularly in a first home. And with assets that have got good bones and you can do the value add, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Like really great way to to improve on that. We love Nana's houses, don't we? Those we really do. solid homes that have got apartments that have got big rooms, practical layouts, good natural light and airflow, but they just haven't been updated in an awful long time. Uh, one of our students bought one of those recently and it is, you know, it is just fantastic. Yep. They've got the opportunity to rework the, the bathroom plan to be better but the bathroom size is really good it's already got a separate toilet it's got three really good sized bedrooms and a good lounge dining kitchen space but everything's really old um but the vision for that property is cosmetic improvements with some very minor um structural elements a covered outdoor patio area for example those sorts of value add opportunities, you know, she bought that at a great price because other people didn't want to take on those sorts of little renovate cosmetic renovations. Whereas she's very comfortable, did a lot of due diligence, followed the process in in the course, 
um, to make sure that she was going into that really knowing what she was in for, how much it was going to cost, what she could do, what she couldn't do. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to hopefully actually we'll have her, we'll do a, a case study with her so that we can actually go through that process of, of what she did with the property and how much that's improved the, the capital value there. And so while value add and, and doing some um, some cosmetic renovations can be a great way to to enhance a property and, and can add value to that property, you if you don't get a good asset in the first place, you just it's called lipstick on a pig, right? Slightly wasted money. So we don't want you wasting money. We want you getting a nice little golden, I don't know, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but anyway, we want you to get you a nice little good asset so that that money that you spend on that on those renovations will be well spent and will really add value. Yeah, yeah, and return more than you spent on the, the renovation. Yep. Yeah. Now, one of, we've been talking about the, some things that as good assets do have. What about something that good assets don't have? Yeah, the, the thing about um, this is, if your budget is such that you're looking to buy on maybe a main road or something that is flood affected or it adjoins commercial, schools, retail, this has a big impact on price. And if that's the compromise that you think you want to make, then make sure you pay the right price going in and accept that you'll be selling at a lower price. And and that's a tough one because if you see properties going up in value around you, and your property, and you expect your property to be going up at the same rate, you might be unfortunately, sadly, let down by your property because you've made compromises in in a key area that can't be improved or changed. So, in this situation, if you're making these sorts of compromises, you are taking a much bigger risk with your first home than if you did not make those compromises. You know, going to another suburb buying a house with one less bedroom or maybe without parking or maybe a little in maybe in not as good a condition or maybe on a slightly smaller land size some other compromise that you can work with as opposed to these big negative you know particularly flood and main roads you know mm, those and, mm. and look if you're buying a property next to a service station you know often when I'm driving down main roads I think to myself people own these homes you know they bought them they live in them but really, if you did have just a little bit more money, would you ever choose to be on a main road next to a service station? No, you wouldn't. And you always have to be thinking that. So always be thinking, okay, a really good asset won't be ever, ever one of those properties that people will turn their nose up at. You don't want that. Because they're your future buyer. Yeah, yeah. So even though, yes, you can have your eyes wide open, know that you, m- you must get a discount going in, know that you're going to um, suffer lower capital growth rates. And when you sell, you will get less money, generally speaking, unless there's some bit of fluke or luck involved. You know, that's the risk you're taking. We would not encourage you to take that risk. We would yeah. encourage you to buy better. Yeah, and think about the um, location-specific characteristics. So, for example, in Queensland, the predominant housing style is timber houses with tin roofs that are elevated off the ground. And some of those houses get raised to, to um, full height and built underneath. But often when people move from interstate or overseas, they're looking to replicate the architectural style that they're familiar with in the areas that they came from. If that is something that is intrinsic to your needs, be aware that if you buy an architectural style that isn't common and isn't sought after in the place that you're buying, 
you may be actually buying a lower grade or less less sought after property in that area, even if it's more sought after where you came from and your your expectations are maybe misaligned with with the market. Try and understand what is what is the the architectural style that is going to be most sought after in the area that you're buying, not the area that you came from. Absolutely. The preference of the majority of buyers, that's what you're trying to learn about. Uh, when you're looking at neighbouring properties, you know, this is a question we get asked quite often, you know, like, well, oh, but the house next door looks like a hoarder lives there. or um, well, the dog barks all the time. Yeah. I mean, they these things can impact yeah. resale. They really can. And, you know, you have to be looking for things that turn off other buyers. And if it's turning you off and you're trying to make excuses and trying to sort of go, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I can't afford any better, yeah, but I can't afford any better. If you're having that in a dialogue, then you're probably not looking at a good asset. Or you're making the mistake uh, that we talk about in Home Buyer Principle number 10, which is focusing too much on the immediate neighbours because they actually might change next week. They might and so this is what you got to be careful with. They might also not. They've, you know, they might have been there for a hundred years and going to stay there for another hundred years, <laughs> like a hoarder, for instance. Hoarders aren't going to move out in a hurry, are they? But they're not. But, but you- they, they could, you know. And and I guess that's the point. You know, you've got to look at the whole neighbourhood. Yes. Uh, is this people like us? You do have to go down the park with your dog, with your kids. What you know, and yeah, just sort of get a feel for. The people that live there and whether that's sort of the community that you can you can belong to. So yes, you've got to look at the immediate neighbours because it can be some total turnoffs there. But there's in the bigger picture is looking at the neighbourhood. Yeah. And that's an important thing to be looking at as well. And definitely the PLUs. We like PLUs. <laughs> Mind you, in my and when I say PLUs, it sounds very much like we're not into diversity. Whereas where I live, I choose to be in a very diverse neighbourhood and people use the people that love diversity for me. So yeah. there you go. doesn't mean that everyone has to be the same. No, it's not. It's not vanilla generic. It's what you like. What What is your, who yep. do you like to be around? And that's the people like you. Exactly not, right. You're not yeah. not now, that they're all exactly the same as you. <laughs> Carbon copies of each other. Mm, boring. <laughs> now the other, the other thing that we, um, and again, we go into much more depth and give you practical, implementable, um, do-it-yourself steps in, in the course. But the the thing, the mistake that some people make in looking um, or trying to judge an asset and the quality of an asset is just looking at the numbers. In inverted commas. In inverted commas. The numbers. Uh, and this is, you know, making your decisions based just on numbers is a really limiting way to choose a location. You really need to look for places where people want to live and the properties they want to live in. Because mm. if you just look at the numbers, you'll miss some of those little intricate things that we've been talking about, like air, light, ventilation, floor plan. You know, it's not about three bedrooms because if they're three bedrooms that are 2.3 by 2.3, you're not going to get any more than a single bed and a bedside table in them. Um, so three bedrooms isn't is a number. It's a number. It ticks a box. But is it where someone wants to live, and can they use those areas, uh, those those rooms practically? Um, so basically, just on the numbers. Uh-uh. Oh, not another a good way number. to make a decision. No, absolutely not. And another number a lot of people like to talk about is median price, and it's like I've got to buy under the median price. And it's like okay, but you know, if there's 
one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedrooms and five bedroom houses all in that same area, the median price for what? You know, it's it's a very useless (laughs) number, right? (laughs) Yeah, I want a four bedroom under the median house price. Well, that's going to be on a main road, flood affected or right on the train line. Yeah, exactly right. Let's be practical about it. And these are the sorts of numbers that get bandied around, often by people who don't really know what they're talking about. They often sound really logical and it sounds really sensible. So I think that that's sort of probably the final note on asset selection is what Megan just said, which is looking for places where people want to live and properties they want to live in. When you're looking at the numbers only, we're forgetting that we're human beings and we make emotional decisions about our our homes that we want to live in. And that's fundamentally what drives the property market. So if you can find a property that someone else is going to have an emotional response to and want to live in, then you sort of cracked it. Absolutely. Now, a quick note. The course, we've mentioned it a few times, your first time by guide only costs $990 and you get direct access to us to help guide you through your negotiations. We have got uh, seven students in Campfire today and each one of them is knee-deep in their negotiations, and each one of them walked away from that campfire with practical steps to move forward with their negotiations. Very, very exciting. Now, trust me, you will overpay by a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first-time buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out Your First Home Buyer Guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.